Welcome to a special edition of Church of the Week. Today we mourn the passing and celebrate the life of a great man of God, a great teacher of God's Word. Pastor Stephen Armstrong is the founding pastor of Verse by Verse Fellowship, and today I want to offer to you an interview we did together some time ago. We will never forget Pastor Steve, and we will honor his memory. God bless. Thank you. Welcome once again to AM 630 The Word Church of the Week program. We are back, and we're back with an old friend and uh, a, a gentleman that has been pastoring here in the city for for not a very long time, but has made a definite impact. And uh, I want to get right into it uh, because today we are we are with Pastor Stephen Armstrong. He is the pastor of Verse by Verse Fellowship, and he is here because he's going to be doing something that is super interest, interesting in his church and something that not too many pastors even want to touch. And we're gonna we're gonna touch it and we're gonna get into it. And uh, we'll, we we have about twenty five minutes, but he's gonna get into it for some time uh, at at the church at Verse by Verse Fellowship. And so, Pastor Steve, thank you for coming and being with us today. Thank you, Marcos. It's gross. It's really nice to be back. And even if you do call me old, I'm happy to be back here with you. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're old friends. Let's let's just That's call right. it that. Old, old old friends. Let's do that. And so, the thing that you're doing. Uh, is is what I why I want to just get right into this, and I'm not opening with a with usually with a usual devotion today because I just want to get into the word mm-hmm. and and what you're doing at church. Talk to me a little bit about what you're going to be doing coming up soon. Well, we do a midweek Bible study at our church on Tuesday nights, and this is a time when our church gets a chance to get deep into the word and and be taught regularly each week, and then we follow the teaching each night with some time for question and answer. So. You know, this isn't a, a one-way conversation in the way that most uh, sermons would be on a Saturday or Sunday. This is a, a chance for everyone to roll their sleeves up and really try to understand something in the Bible that they want to understand. And so uh, what we thought we would do this fall, starting in September, is we would tackle a book that I've taught before, but it's been a long time and haven't taught it in a while. So we're going we're gonna to go with the book of Revelation. Ooh. And you know that that was. Uh, I'll, I'll confess that there was a a, mad, a reason for this madness. We uh, we have a new church, as you know, and we're trying to build the community that's there and and uh, you know let people know that we're here. So we knew this would be a book that if the if the book was taught, the, the people just love it. I mean, you hear people all the time saying, "I wish I could study that book." And so we were consciously choosing to do this now as a way of uh, encouraging folks to come listen to the teaching and be part of the church. But uh, it's open to anyone, and we're expecting a good crowd. So tell me, where's the church? Let's, let's introduce the, the, the your church first, and then we'll go into other churches. Great. Yes, that's right. Other churches <laughs> in the book of Revelation. Well, Verse by Verse Fellowship is our name, and we called ourselves Verse by Verse Fellowship uh, specifically because we wanted people to understand what they'd be getting if they came to our church. We teach the Bible, and we teach it in a very methodical way. We go through books at a time, even on Sundays from the pulpit. We stand up and preach out of the books of the Bible. So uh, that's our our hallmark, if you will. That's our calling to teach the whole counsel of God's Word to those who come into the building and hear it. And we are located off of uh, Nakoma, just north of the airport. And we're excited. We're opening in a new facility at that place, at that location, and we'll be opening our first Sunday service here soon. So all of these uh, new things are coming at about the same time. We're really excited about uh, what God is doing. So this church. is like a full launch 
Yeah, in many or ways. Like a rebirth even. In many ways. We, we started in 2018, so we, we're about 19 months old, uh, which is not very old, obviously. Uh, but this is our first time to have uh, you know, a building with our name on it. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing that you want as a church is the permanence and the dependability of a location where you can do ministry uninterrupted. And, and the Lord has been exceedingly kind to us and given us this opportunity much sooner than we, really than we expected. And as a result, we're, we're really thrilled. So uh, starting in September, we'll have the, the Tuesday night study starting in Revelation. And we're excited to see who that, come, who that might bring to us. Cause, uh, we know so your, your midweek is on Tuesday night. Yeah. So uh, starting on the 7th and 8th of September, which is a Saturday and Sunday, we have our first full weekend of services on Saturday and Sunday in our new location. And then the, two days later, on Tuesday, the 10th of September, we'll have our first Revelation class. Wow. It's going to be super interesting. Yeah. Now, one of, one of the things that I have noticed, I, I grew up in church, uh, mm-hmm. I'm pastoring, and I, I, I realized that a lot of people, they, you know, they have this, this image of the book of Revelation, you know, right. where it's a book about dragons. <laughs> well, there is one in there. <laughs> there, there is one. <laughs> but it's not the whole thing. There's not a, the book of Revelation on dragons. That's the right. first verses right. talk about what the revelation is in this book. Right. Well, chapter one is the moment, the, as the book opens, is the moment that the Apostle John uh, sees the vision of Christ as he comes back to give John what we now have as the book of Revelation. And I tell people all the time, the entire book of Revelation is prophetic. Every chapter is prophetic. And even a chapter like the first one, where you're seeing John explaining what he received and how he received it, we know that happened uh, you know, 2,000 or so years ago. Mm-hmm. But even in that chapter, there's prophecy, because the Lord appears to John in this glorious form. It's so different than anything John had ever seen when he knew Jesus on the earth before that, that we're told in chapter 1 that John falls down in fear uh, of what he sees. And clearly that's not the same thing he saw when Jesus was on the earth the first time. I mean, he talks about you know, reclining against the chest of Christ at the Last Supper. So what we know is that Jesus came back showing himself to John in a way that was quite different than what John had seen before. And that itself was prophetic because it's Christ showing himself to John in the way that he will appear when he comes to rule on earth in the kingdom that we all await. So I like to say it's a preview of coming attractions. Mm-hmm. So its a, its purpose was to validate the testimony that John right. would then be able to say, "This is what I got and how I got it," and that would give us confidence to accept it. But you know, the point that he's left with in that is these are the things that you will see, things that will happen, and they're for the believer, they're for the church to know. They're not to be you know scared about. They're not to be worried about, uh, avoided. This is effectively the culmination of the entire plan of God that was started in Genesis. And, and it's there for our purpose to understand and be prepared for it and look forward to it, actually. Not, not, not that everything that happens in this book will be ours to experience personally, but as they like to say, we know how it ends and right. Jesus wins, right? The yeah. point is it brings us to a confidence that despite whatever tough things we face, whatever tough things come in this world, uh, Jesus has it under control, and he's for, foreordained it, understands what's coming, and is ready for it. So we know the beginning. We know how it started. That's right. And then we know the end and how it's going to end. It's just that middle part <laughs> that we've got to figure out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, there's a lot more detail in the book than most people, or a lot more uh, understandable detail in that book than most people realize. And that's one of the joys of teaching it. You know what I like about that first chapter, and as, as you're mentioning that, uh, 
some of us that have read and have studied and and know the word and we've been in church, there's still more revelation. Yeah, yeah, well, there there are only so many words written, and they're all in the book. Right. But what they're saying, in other words, what God wants us to understand about them is an everlasting process of growth. Right. The truth isn't changing. It's not like the word means one thing today and a different thing tomorrow, but our understanding of it mm-hmm. is growing. And w- then as we understand it, our use of it is never right. ending, right? How I apply it in my life is going to continue to grow. But looking at John. I mean, just at John's oh, yeah, experience, absolutely. He, he laid on, on the chest of Jesus. He had an intimate, you know, he was a, a very strong relationship we, he had right. with Jesus. Right. And then this revelation came. Yeah, now, now he's too afraid to, to right. even look at him. And I, I think that's, there in a nutshell, you see the difference between God incarnate mm-hmm. and God glorified. Right. And we know him as the stories of the Gospels represent Christ. We know him incarnate. Now we have him living in us by faith through his spirit. But even that's a measure of him, a, a taste, if you will. The true and full appreciation of God won't be possible until we're able to be in his presence again at our glorification. And there'll be no fear of him from the standpoint of judgment or condemnation or any sort of thing because our faith in Christ has mm-hmm. pull, taken those things away. Um, but that doesn't mean we won't have that awesome fear of God, that that sense of of the power and the majesty and the glory of God in relationship to us as his creation and that that's a healthy kind of fear and what it does is it promotes in us the respect that God and the and the and the praise and glory to his name that he deserves keeping us in that mindset is where we're going to be the most obedient and pleasing to him and revelation is the is that full arc mm-hmm. it starts with a man seeing God as he is to be seen in the days to come Having the response that we see in chapter one, which is, oh my goodness, look at this yeah. is this is God. I've I've got God in front of me, and then it finishes with us with Him in the new heavens and new earth, enjoying Him uh, uh, in a way that we can't even imagine yet. So, yeah, the but the bad stuff's in the middle, but yeah. the bad stuff is is a means to a greater end. Yeah, we if we can endure. Well, we we will be protected for the most part from it because, as our as Paul says, we are not appointed to wrath, but. The world has to endure some things in preparation mm-hmm. for where it's going. Uh, the church has its own period of endurance. It's just now. That is, right. just living on this earth f- for a time uh, is itself an act of endurance and persistence, as Scripture says, uh, and then it's over. But each of us gets that in turn in our age, in our day, when we live, and then the world itself is going through the process, Paul says in Romans 8, that it groans uh, looking for its own redemption one day. All of that, though, comes to its appointed end, as God permits. You're listening to AM630, The Word, and this is Church of the Week. My name is Marcus Burgos. I'm your host, and today we're in the studio with Pastor Steve Armstrong, pastor of Verse by Verse Fellowship. And uh, you can find him on the web at vbvf.org. They're going through some time changes, which is good news. So check them out. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation for a few minutes. And uh, we talked about the introduction. And uh, I, my, my hope is to get maybe into chapter three. <laughs> well, you're an ambitious man. I <laughs> yeah. love that. I like that about you. But uh, the, the churches, now, now he receives word. Tell, tell the, 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 the pastor, if you would, the the, of of the angel of the church is what what he's calling them. Tell the angel of the church at the first church is Ephesus. Tell them, and there's a specific message for seven, for seven churches, churches 
that he goes to. And I just want to see how far we get in, okay. in, into this because, I mean, it's, it's, it's super interesting and there's so much that can be gleaned from there. But in a nutshell, if we could just try to go over this. And, you know, in Ephesus, he says, he says one of the more, you know, one of the more famous ones is that you've lost. Left your first love. Yes. Yeah. Well, and let me give you the secret to understanding Revelation. There's, and there's, this is somewhat facetious because obviously not one secret answers every question. But there's one key thing if you understand you can get through the book of Revelation much easier. There's an outline to the book, mm-hmm. and it's given to us in chapter 1. When Jesus talks to John in chapter 1, verse 19, he tells John, this is what I want you to do, John. He says, in verse 19, he says, I want you to write the things which you've seen and write the things which are, and then write the things which will take place after these things. And that's a bit cryptic, and our time doesn't let us really dive into all of it, but to make it simple for us, chapter 1 is the first thing. The things that he saw is chapter 1. The things that are are chapters 2 and 3, and the things that happen after these things are chapters 4 through 22. And if you're asking, well, how would I know that, that's the that's the thing that would take a while to explain. So You're come right. to the Revelation study, and you'll know why that's true. <laughs> there but you go. if you go with that with me for just a moment, then when you look to the chapters that are two and three, the churches, as you said, the seven letters to seven churches, well, we know that in Jesus' day, when those words were being written, when John was given this prophecy from mm-hmm. Jesus, there were a lot more than seven churches on the earth. So then that begs the question, why do we have seven in the book? Why only seven? Why those seven? Well, we know that the number seven in Scripture has a meaning associated with it. It means completeness or wholeness. I tell people that in ancient times, the number seven was their equivalent of us when we say 100%. Mm, okay. So seven equals 100%. So when we hear that there are seven letters to seven churches, what we should understand is Jesus is saying, I'm writing to my whole church, 100% of the church. I'm using these seven as poster children, as representative churches, each of them representing some aspect of my church. So each of these seven churches tells us something about the church overall. And then secondly, John was told to write the things that are in reference to those seven churches. Are is a present tense Mm -hmm. word. What we're learning is this, that for a period of history, a time that we'll call are, Mm -hmm. the church will exist. But then there's a time when things happen after these things, that is, things that happen after the church. So chapters 4 and onward are the things that will happen after the church is no longer on the earth. But chapters 2 and 3 are the time period when the church will exist. So for the sake of these seven letters now, we have Ephesus, for example. Each of these seven letters is three things all at the same time. Each of them are literal. They speak about a true place on earth that existed back then, like like Ephesus in current-day Turkey. But they're also universal in that we know that because there's seven— they all talk about aspects of the church during all time, like anywhere in the history of the church. Today, for example, I could find places in the world in which there are churches that are doing some of the same things that the church of Ephesus was mm-hmm. doing back then. And for those churches, this letter will be particularly applicable. So they're not just literal in their day. They're also universal for how the church is going to go throughout its history. And then there's one more aspect, and this is maybe the most important. All seven letters are prophetic. That is, they all talk about a phase or an age within the church's existence when the church as a whole will be largely like one of these letters. Mm. So the very first place, the very first starting point of the church historically was in the time of the apostles. That corresponds to the first letter, Ephesus. So Ephesus is the church that best characterizes what it was like in the early church in the first century. And then the second church, Sardis, 
It's the church of persecution. It represents what it was like to be in the church starting in about the second century, going until about 313 or so when Constantine made the church part of the Roman Empire. That gives you Thyatira. Thyatira is the third church, and it basically represents what it was like to be in the church during the time of the Roman Catholic domination of the church, and so on and so forth. What's interesting about that theory is that if there are seven letters, that means there would be seven periods of history to the church. And then it becomes a bit of a game to say, well, I wonder which of those seven is where we are now. Yeah. I'll come to the study and I'll tell you. <laughs> but back to, so back to Ephesus then. What do we know about Ephesus? Well, it was a city in, in Asia Minor, in Turkey, and Ephesus was known, as you said, for leaving their first love. They were commended for one thing. Christ said they were commended because they would not tolerate false teaching, that they were, they were true to the Scripture and they wanted their teachers to be true to the Scripture. So they're very, maybe we could say very dogmatically pure. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the line, they left their first love. Their first love in that context would be uh, living for the pleasure of Christ, living for the sake of pleasing Christ. If you think about how you love people, if you find your, 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 your wife to be, how do you initially love that woman? You bring her flowers. You think about what she would like. You do what she wants. You ask her about herself. You're, you're attentive to her and her needs and to please her in any respect. What happens when a marriage gets a little old and stale and, and the guy takes his wife for granted? Maybe they've been married a while. Maybe mm-hmm. he's not really thinking about her much anymore. Well, as you leave your first love, you're not necessarily walking away from her, but what you're doing is you're starting to take her for granted and ignore her and move on to other things. And that was the the course of Ephesus. We know historically that was exactly what happened in the church there. Uh, John, the Apostle John, was a, a teacher and early founder in that church, early apostle. So was uh, Paul at a time, so it was Timothy at a time. They had some great early leaders, great teachers. And Paul told the elders of that church shortly before Paul went to Jerusalem, to, um, to Rome rather, to die, he called them down to talk to him before he left, and he said some parting words. And he warned them that there would be men who would creep in with false teaching and that they should be on a guard against that. And the letter that Jesus writes makes clear that they apparently were. They were careful in that regard. Mm-hmm. But they got so much up in their head, maybe, or so interested in their creeds and, and rules right. that somewhere along the line they forgot what the whole thing was about. Mm-hmm. It was about loving Christ and doing things that pleased him in any way, in whatever way. And uh, that the church in the early w- century, I think, was best known for being a church on fire at first, mm-hmm. Pentecost, everyone selling their possessions and giving to the right. poor. And then it, toward the end, as they got in, inundated with false teachers, Judaizers, uh, Gnostics, and the like, the church entered into a phase of real battle over truth, over trying to preserve the true gospel. And that was a part of how Scripture was formed, too, in the, in the response to that. And, and unfortunately, it kind of let the church wander a little bit away from its whole purpose and became about, about, the, about defining, protecting, and holding on to truth, which is not – obviously, that's not something we take lightly, but it can't be the whole thing. Right. It can't be the whole sum of what we're doing, or we're just in it for ourselves at that point. And it gave way to a period of persecution – but that was God's way of waking up the church. So it puts us in the second letter, Sardis. But that, that danger of falling into that first love is not just an intellectual danger. No, you no. Know, it's, so it's, it's not dis- just— It can be temptations to the world. Right. Distractions of what you see around you that get you so excited about chasing worldly things that you forget you have a mission. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I tell people all the time, when you're saved, the day you're saved, you didn't have any doctrine in your head at all. Mm-hmm. You didn't know anything. That's why you, got, that's why you had to be saved. You, you yeah. were on the other side of everything. And if you can be saved without knowing any doctrine, then doctrine is not in itself a proof of godliness. 
Christ alone makes you godly. His, his righteousness in you is godliness. But doctrine is there to protect you and guide you against either your flesh or the world trying to pull you back. But you know, I think of it like a fuel in a car. The fuel doesn't drive the car. Mm-hmm. It makes the drive possible. But you still have to have a pilot. You still have to have somebody behind the wheel. And so in our heart, as we think about how we walk with Christ, we still have to have a goal. We still have to have energy and devotion to time and, and make his priorities our priorities. If we don't have doctrine, though, we don't know where we're going. We, right. don't have, we don't have the fuel to move us anywhere. And so they have to work together. The early church, time of Ephesus, we see evidence that this is a church that became distracted, in ironically, in, in pursuit of doctrine and pres- preservation of doctrine, to the expense of actually doing the deeds they, they started in the beginning. Christ actually says in that letter, as he opens up, he says, do the deeds you did at first, mm-hmm. which is, remember what this whole thing was about. It wasn't just a pursuit of something on paper. It was about changing people's lives, yeah. and uh, they needed that. Wow, that's that's so interesting. We have to continue to grow and learn and, and, and gather more, but we cannot lose what we first received. You we can't, can't lose it. You can't turn it into religion. Right. And that's right. what happens, right? We turn pursuit of God as – well, and even that's not saying it accurately because we don't pursue him. He pursues, he us, pursues us. Right. Yeah. So uh, no one seeks for God. No, not one, Paul says. So he pursued and, and redeemed us, and then we suddenly turn it on him and say, well, now I have to pursue you. And we make it this game, this thing we call religion, and we lose sight of what the whole thing was about. So it, it's a balance. It's a balance. You can't turn one – make one the enemy of the other. But – the church in Ephesus is our living example of what can happen if we get out of balance. Yeah. You lose, you lose your first love. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how, how much farther we're going we're gonna to get into the other churches. <laughs> well, I will tell you that it's worth uh, – when we do this study, just to give you an idea, we do it verse by verse, week to week. It takes us from about September through April to finish the book of Revelation. And it will take me at least six weeks of that time just to do the seven letters. of the churches. Yeah. Wow. Let's, let, so then Smyrna is the, is the second church. The Church this, of Persecution. Right. So what, what's going on? You are, you are rich? Uh, well, that's Laodicea. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, uh, Smyrna is the church that he's, there's no condemnation of them. The, to put it simply, this is a church Jesus says nothing negative about. He just tells them you're going to die for your faith. Be faithful until Don't the end. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What's coming. That's right. And it really marks what the church was like for about 200 years mm-hmm. uh, as you leave the first century and get into – uh, the second and third centuries before you see Constantine put an end to persecution. Do, would you say then chronologically, it, the churches they are falling in place? That's my my opinion. And I think history backs this up. Is that you can find the churches? You can look back on the history of the church and you can see clearly how the nature and the times of the church in in these various periods of history match the descriptions we're given in each of these seven letters, which is, again, the whole book of Revelation is prophetic. Mm-hmm. There's no part of it we sort of cross off and say, well, that's history now. Right. It, it has a historical component, but there's still something being said to us about the future in the, in the whole book. And so we should line up somewhere and be able to see— We are one of those seven. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we should be able—the the Word of God is still relevant— Throughout Amen. the other sixty-five books, and so you know, right. number sixty-six should be relevant to us today as well. Well, that's one of the things I tell people about studying the Book of Revelation. If you've always thought the Book of Revelation was hard to understand, mm-hmm. here's why: because it's the last book in the Bible. Mm-hmm. If I gave you a novel written by anybody, and I said, "Here, pick the take this novel, read the last chapter first. Right? What would you understand? Nothing. Nothing. And you wouldn't expect to. 
But for some reason, we give people the Bible, they turn to Revelation and they say, oh, this is, un- I can't understand this. Who could understand this? Well, friend, have you studied the other 65 mm. books? Until you do that, and to some level, you should expect to be confused because the Lord wrote the whole thing and he wrote them in this order for a reason. So when I teach the book of Revelation, I don't, obviously, I can't depend on everyone having studied the whole Bible before they show up. That's not practical. Right. So what I do is I bring a lot of the other parts of the Bible in to the teaching as we go through the book of Revelation so that I'm bringing you the background you would have had had you known where to go look. That's a great question then. Uh, What other books do you use? Uh, Biblical books, I mean, in the Bible. Almost all of them. Really? For this study, almost all of them. At some point in the the eight months or so that we'll study in this book, nine months, we will will touch on at least every book in the Bible virtually because they all have something to say about what's going on. Not just the other prophetic books then? Oh, no, no, no. The whole Torah, uh, the prophets, the historical works of the Old Testament, the Gospels, the letters. I mean, it— Throughout the book of Revelation, there are things being mentioned that were references back to things in the Old Testament, and until you know what those other things are, you're going to be lost. It's like a decoder ring, right? Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to go back and find the original reference, and so we do that. That's part of my job as a teacher is just to lay all that out for you. And that's the beauty of the Bible. You, you use the Bible to reference and to learn mm-hmm. from yep. it. Yep. You really don't need another third book. Hopefully not, because the Lord didn't write this with the expectation that, that <laughs> yeah. author so-and-so was going to come along and make it possible for you to understand it, right? So, yeah, there's, there's commentaries, and I'm one of those, actually. I'm, I'm effectively a commentary exactly. when I'm yeah. teaching it. But we're all working off the same original text. And that's that's great. And so we are we are out of time, Pastor Steve. Thank you so much. <laughs> we should just keep doing this. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they can go away, but we can talk. San Antonio, thank you for listening to AM630 The Word. God bless you, San Antonio. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of Church of the Week as we remember and celebrate the life of a great man of God, Pastor Stephen Armstrong, and the church that he founded and pastored, Verse by Verse Fellowship. God bless you.